welcome to the fifth dimension. Hey weirdos, welcome back to yet another episode of the Fifth Dimension Podcast. I am Juan, and over there is my co-host Luis. Yo, what's up? Today we are focusing on movies and the characters portrayed in film, and a little bit of comic book discussion in the end. Uh, shit, what do you mean by portrayals? As in, like, if the actor fits the role? I mean, yeah, sure. I, I think that there's uh, that's an important aspect of the film. Uh, but does the actor bring the character to life? Uh, but also the portrayal of the character staying true to the original intent, you know? Okay, all right. Yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, some actors do a very good job with it. Um, but we'll discuss it. We'll discuss We'll discuss it, man, for sure. Absolutely. So a ton of great movies have been released for 2022 and a lot more to come in 2023. Uh, to be honest, I meant I'm, so I'm, I'm a very uh, big on history. Uh, Oppenheimer is coming out this summer, and I'm really looking forward to that one. Oh, what is it? What, Oppenheimer? That's uh, what is it? What did he say? I am I am death or something like that. Is he the something other? like that? Yeah, the, the uh, I, I am now death or something like that. I am now death. It's um, the yeah. It's it, it's covering the the development and the use of the nuclear bomb. So I think I think that's going to be a pretty interesting movie. Yeah, sounds sounds pretty cool. Uh, but I also think it's important to note that uh, film is evolving and it continues to evolve. Absolutely. I mean, I think for the most part, a lot of movies do evolve. It's, it seems like from the first from the first movie ever, right, to now, I mean, stories are just getting more intricate. They're getting more elaborate. They're, they're a, lot, a lot of the elaborate, I mean, and a lot of the uh, effects are just amazing now. Right. Yeah. So, you, see, I, I, yeah. Go ahead. I was just gonna say CGI seems uh, almost slim, seamless in a lot of uh, a lot of films. It just blends in so well with uh, with how it's used and and uh, the technology that we're using that CGI almost looks indistinguishable from uh, real life. Yeah. Well, I mean, some CGI, right? If you got a good uh, if you got a good team, a CGI team, it looks amazing. A lot of them absolutely come out. I mean, look at a perfect example, and I don't even know if it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but like Avatar, all the Avatar movies, you know, the first one and then the Way of Water, those are fantastic movies. Those, they're visually appealing and they're just amazing. Yeah, yeah. They bring in a, an art quality to CGI for sure. And even some even some superhero movies uh, have some, um, I would say this have some, some good uh, CGI, you know, some some good effects, but uh, you know, you could be like one of the people that say uh, that superhero movies are what's killing cinema. You know, like Spielberg and Scorsese say they're like, hey, you know what? Their opinion is, hey, these type of movies are just not good for cinema anymore. Hmm. What's your opinion on that? I think uh, there are those movie directors, right? Uh, and they have their comments. Of course, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But I think there's a hidden level of 
elitism there, right? That that they feel like their movies or their version of movies or how they tell stories is the best way to do it. Yeah, my my thing is, what exactly are these superhero movies killing for them? Like, I don't get it. Uh, I could see where their frustration comes from, right? If you from a, a jealousy lens, that's what it looks like. There's where the frustration comes from. But what exactly are these superhero movies killing? Uh, that's a good. That's a good question. Um, I think a lot of the comments I hear by hear by from like Scor- the Scorsese's is uh, many stylized directors feel like Marvel is not really telling a story, but it's more entertaining its audience, right? And we know Marvel is a huge juggernaut. Um, if if a movie if they put out a movie, it's expected to hit the millions billions, right? Um, and I'll be the first to admit that. Uh, comic book movies that's what it's supposed to do it's supposed to tell you a story while entertaining you um but what these directors really fail in 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 understanding and acknowledging is that these stories draw inspiration from bigger text from other um from their sources of inspiration right is the original uh the original source uh comic book movies uh all draw from uh, the original source and i think uh maybe there's a uh kind of like a what, what do you call that brown nosing no not brown nosing uh kind of like a mm. uh, a uh a fur of the brow if you will when when someone says comic books because they really don't equate comic books to to books texts or uh novels that uh for some for whatever reason someone someone would say oh a comic book that's that's the lowest of the low of in terms of uh reading but you know uh, I grew up on comic books. I, I felt like uh, if it weren't for comic books, they wouldn't have helped me uh, develop my uh, linguistic skills. You know, uh, nerd, nerd, and nerd. but but right, like, and and that's where a lot of of these uh, directors get lost in the noise of oh, but my movie's not making its billions because of Marvel. It's not because of Marvel. Um, it's because a lot of us feel a connection to these movies because we we see we're seeing things that were on a page come to life. Yeah. Um, I think, again, I've already said this, but I think their hate or their dislike or their discontent with the superhero movies, um, I think it's, dare I say, again, jealousy for this for this Jealousy. Genre. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they're jealous for their success and uh, they're also jealous for the almost infinite stories that comic books can offer you know oh absolutely comic books offer uh, companies uh, movie companies a plethora of stories I, I think that's what disney saw in marvel and that's why um disney bought out marvel studios brought in all the characters that it could now right there's there's licensing issues still like we, um it used to be uh, Mar- uh marvel and disney could not uh, use the x-men properties but now that they bought out fox they're able to do that uh, but there's still some complications. They still they still can't use certain characters. Uh, but you're right. Uh, there's an infinite amount of storylines to be told, uh, and a span of Marvel has been in existence since the since the 60s. So they've got 50, 60 years worth of material to draw from. Yeah, they sure do. So I'm gonna I'm also gonna say out in the limb. There's probably no such thing as a bad film. I am. Most Vin Diesel movies, they're terrible. Yikes, bro. The Vin Diesel, Vin Diesel movie? What do you have against Vin Diesel? Bro, they're fucking cheesy-ass movies, and all he cares about is his one-liners. 
like uh, like what is it like Chronicles of Riddick or any any Riddick, he's always just I'm just passing through, or yeah. some 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 bullshit like that. It's like man, it's cheesy, bro. I can't get into. His <laughs> then come on, the Fast and the Furious movie is like, bro, this is just the the Fast and the Furious movies have been uh, again. Uh, no. It appeals to a certain audience, right? It appeals to a certain group of people that they have a love for race cars. They have a love for the portrayal of family in, in a non um, uh, biological sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't so know. It's a little, yeah. His movies are to me, one, they're cheesy as fuck. Two, <laughs> two, besides one, it's the, the dialogue, you know, the dialogue in his movies are just damn, they're cringe as fuck. And three, the stories are just also cringe. It's like, really? This guy's always uh, an unbeatable force and never seems to have any type of uh, resistance or challenges. And even if he does have a challenge, it's, I'm just passing through. That's everything. That's everything for him. Uh, I, would, I would argue against you and give you a little bit of pushback that his most famous one-liner is, I am Groot. Oh, shit. Well, I guess you got me there. <laughs> and, but he's working with Marvel, though. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he, he is a uh, marvel actor at that point um but no i, I think uh there's worse films than the fast and the furious and i i firmly believe that uh yes. absolutely at the bottom of the list is knowing with nicholas cage uh man i went to theaters seeing that movie but kind of giving it like a, a lot of high hope um the, the the premise was also very interesting it had it showed a lot of potential uh, but when you go actually see it, man, talk about a wasted opportunity. That reminds me of, uh, I think that movie, I've, I've seen that one too with Nicolas Cage, but that movie reminds me kind of like, uh, what was it called? Jim Carrey's Three? The one where oh, yeah, he's yeah. number three everywhere or something like that, right? I think right. it was the same concept, but yeah, it was underwhelming too. Uh, Jim Carrey's, though, his that movie was... It had a nice twist to it, you know. Like it, at least it kept it grounded in its in its surrealism, uh, almost uh, very. Uh, it, it kept it grounded. It, it it brought it back down to earth, right? Um, yeah. But knowing, it gave you a supernatural sense, and then it, it then it shifted. It gave an awkward shift to sci-fi, and it just didn't work for the film. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, those kind of movies for me, they call it, they fall under the me slot it's i'll watch it if i have to if i watch it if somebody wants somebody else wants to watch it but it's yeah. not my cup of tea. and definitely right as we now know and and we monitor rotten tomatoes and the the critic score and the audience score so i think the audience score and reaction is, is more it says a lot about the film when the audience is able to respond to it for sure. Let's take uh, let's take the recent release of uh, Ant Man and Quantumania. Well, least recent for right now, uh, but mixed reviews, right? Uh, what do you think? I thought the movie was good, uh, and I sent you a TikTok this morning uh, about a, a guy that uh, had watched the film. He gave it a four out of ten, and then after see seeing it the second time, he revised his score and gave it an eight out of ten. And I think that's where the audience is falling is, is the eight out of 10 score because after rewatching it, it's, um, and I think the divide of, among the Marvel fandom is, is starting to tone down. It, they're, they're seeing the movie for what it is. It's a standalone Ant-Man film. It's about the Ant-Man family and them witnessing 
the a potential uh, threat in Kang. Um, again, some were sold on the plot. Some were not very sold. Uh, people were not happy with how some characters were introduced, like MODOK. Um, and I think the most, the biggest complaint I heard <laughs> from Modoc, Avenge the Fallen. <laughs> if you haven't seen those memes yet, uh, to the audience, hey, my brother. That's, that's a great example of terrible CGI <laughs> or FX. Terrible. That's true. I, they didn't, they didn't give a lot of time to CGI. I will say that. Um, but, uh, and then there was the main complaint of not, not enough Ant-Man. Paul Rudd is, is a star. He is charming. He is through and through great, but they didn't give him a lot of screen time. Um, but overall, I think this was a very worthy entry into the MCU's phase five. Um, but you do have to abandon prior expectations, like the heist-like formula that Ant-Man follows. They're abandoning that. They're, they're, they're past that now. And we have to accept that this Ant-Man is embracing the weird and quirky. So I don't know. What did you, what did you think? I, I enjoyed it. You know, the movie did what it was supposed to do. Entertain. You know, was it like an Avengers movie? No, but it was all right. You know, I took the family and uh, I think together we kind of just said it averaged out to like a seven out of 10 for us. It was, um, it was entertaining. It, that's all it was meant to do is, and it was also kind of just like a setup to the next thing Marvel's building up to, right? Absolutely. And that's the Marvel formula. It, it's, it, it does a main movie. It features the main character, but it's in the background, it's building towards something. Um, is there a movie you think is good despite it being reviled by the audience at large. Let me guess, let me guess. The Amazing Spider-Man. Hey, don't fuck with that movie. Yeah, that's one. <laughs> uh, I like that movie, man, I really do. I, I like Daniel Garfield as Spider-Man and uh, Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy. Uh, it, for me, it was just another look, another way of seeing Spider-Man uh, other than the Tobey Maguire version. And I really enjoyed it. So it was just a, a different view, a different perspective of what Spider-Man could be. And did I mention it has Emma Stone in it? Uh, I, I get a sense that you really like Emma Stone. Yeah, she plays a good Gwen Stacy. All right, all right, fair enough. I think for me, it's it's 2012. Have you seen that movie, 2012? Nah, I, I saw the trailers for that. I said, fuck that, I ain't watching it, man. <laughs> really? I thought, okay, for this movie, uh, people really hated on it, more than liked it. Uh, but I enjoyed it. I, I love the hypothetical, natural, and apocalyptic nature of the movie, of disaster movies. Um, even like The Day After Tomorrow and, and various uh, like disaster type of movies. Did you uh, like this The has... Rocks? Did you like Which The one? Rocks? What's that movie? The one where he's a helicopter pilot going through earthquakes? Is it is it Quake or is it... I, I can't remember what that film is. I don't know. It was That's forgettable. Terrible, bro. It, it doesn't rank on, on the top. I, I love disaster movies, but that one definitely not even doesn't even crack my top 50, I, I think. What do you think of... Uh, what is it? Day After Tomorrow? I liked it. It was it was okay. Um, after rewatching it, you know, it, it does. Uh, so back in my college years, I was very much uh, environmentalist. Uh, Got to be conscious about the environment. Still am now, but I see the the hard push in in the day after tomorrow and how hard it tried to like spook us into environmental change. Um, I still think it's an important topic, but the way that they treated the environment there, uh, it 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 had to suit the story, right? And it just, it didn't make sense. After watching it a couple of times, I'm like, I can't believe I used to like this movie. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I just saw the trailer. I was like, no, that's the one with John Cusack, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, 2012 is with John Cusack. A day After Tomorrow is with uh, 
uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and yeah, yeah. But for this one, for 2012, what I liked about 2012, it has a little bit more staying power, uh, I think, because the drama and the over-the-top action, it's 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 fine. It, it feeds the audience just enough entertainment. But for it being a very shallow action movie, there are very deep moments in the film, and I and I love this quote. Um, it's more towards the end of the film when they're trying to um, uh, shield humanity from the greatest disaster ever, right? And they're trying to help humanity survive. Anyway, one of the lead characters goes, the moment we stop fighting for each other, that's the moment we lose our humanity. And I, I still, that quote, I mean, again, for it being a very shallow movie, still sticks with me to this day. You know what that quote reminds me of? I think this always gets to you too. And this is part of who you are and the characters up? that you kind of like. Um, mm-hmm. In The Walking Dead season two, I think. Yeah. Uh, Dale, he says something. Oh, like yeah. That, right? Something reminiscent about humanity, where if you stop fighting for humanity, then, then our then civilization's lost, right? Oh, like yeah. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. I, I think that's the, those are the type of characters that draw me in. Absolutely. I see, but I, I do. See, oh, I go ahead. Fairly. No, I do. <laughs> yeah, cool. I, I remember Dad saying that uh, maybe he, maybe and 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 correct me if I'm wrong. He hated superhero the superhero movies, um, but uh, he did prefer a lot of the romantic action types. Yeah, I think he would agree with the Scorsese's that he probably didn't hit the superhero more genres just killing. <laughs> but believe it or not, I'm sure he liked in his heart of heart that he liked superhero movies, or he he had his own superheroes. Because remember, That's you know, Dad was an old school guy, you know, from Mexico, so. A lot of the wrestling stars from Mexico made into the big screen. Like I think Blue Blue Demon or Blue Demon, yeah, one of them. And I think I I always used to hear him say something about those um, wrestling uh, wrestling stars that made into the big screen and how he liked them. So I'm sure he had his nerd side. Well, uh, on my end, I think for the audience, for you all to know, I'm a biopic, historical nonfiction, comedy, and MCU. Uh, for me, I place the MCU in its own category because it doesn't need to be compared to Citizen Kane or Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption. Uh, I think that these films, like Shawshank, uh, have us question legal Shawshank. legal due process. That one, uh, Worcestershire sauce. Uh, hum- uh, it also has us question humanity in prison, friendship, and all that all that stuff. Right. I think the MCU for me speaks directly to my uh, childhood, and I think for all of us is our collective childhood. And our aspirations to be <laughs> nerd and our aspirations to be heroes. But also, I think just seeing comic books come to life, uh, it's no different from turning a page on a novel or turning a novel into a film. Uh, and I think comic books deserve kind of at least the same elevation is that it brings it to film. It's an art. Um, yeah, I mean, movies I enjoy too, that I enjoy kind of like, um, and I'll just let, I'll list off some movies just to give you an idea. Like Matrix, the first Matrix, Inception, Dawn of the Dead, like um, 2004 one, the one where they're stuck in the mall. That one was really cool. Um, a lot of MC or some MCU, some Tarantino. Um, I think my taste in movies are kind of like my taste in music. I, I have a mixed, I have a mixed feelings and mixed variety of interests. Absolutely, and I think not to uh, put our brother on blast, our, our brother Jose. Uh, He's more of the serious movie buff, right? He's more like it has to have meaning and I have to learn something from it. Boo, boo this man. <laughs> and and some of those films are enjoyable, but some of them like, a, and it's him, right? It's his taste. It can't, can't roast him too much on that. 
Yeah. No, but I mean, if, if, here's the thing. Like, uh, he says, oh, I only like movies that are based in real shit and I got to learn something from them. Uh, but if, if you can't, if you can't take the time to fucking enjoy and entertain yourself in a good kind of just like an Ant-Man movie, right? Uh, if you can't just do that, just sit back and just chill. Uh, like, come on, man. Like you're too, you're too, up, you're too, you're too uptight. Wind down a little bit, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Gotta have those moments to unwind. Now I've also heard though, uh, and not to completely dismiss Jose's uh, assertion, is that people say I'm tired of the MCU or some version of these movies follow the same formula. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've heard that too before. You know, I think that's the biggest complaint with uh, moviegoers and the MCU um, is that they're tired of it. And I think in all honesty, Marvel just needs to stop with the, with the whimsical quips and the flat jokes. You know, some of them just don't land. I would say as a moviegoer and an I guess a regular MCU uh, movie watcher or whatever, I would say enough already, you know, have a comic relief character for, for, for a movie or whatever, and then move on. Not every single character should have a quip in every single fucking scene. You know, it's fucking annoying. I think it's uh, that's a valid point. Uh, especially when you're talking about uh, the focus should be the character. So it'd be the character development of the story. Uh, so yeah, don't don't show don't uh, force in a joke or don't for, force in a quip. Um, but I'll also acknowledge that creating a film from start to finish must be hard, uh, and especially with the directors facing all the pressure that they're facing about creating quality Marvel content um, or any right any any franchise, uh, the Harry Potters, the the uh, Jurassic Parks, all of those. Uh, just my closest experience is editing this podcast. Man, I, I I set aside two hours just to edit. I can only I can only imagine how much time editors take to go through film because that that's that's super hard. Yeah, I'm sure. That, and there's lot. There's probably lots of film too, right? Lots of film where they're just editing, cutting, and making sure shit's right. Um, so yeah, I, I can't imagine. Uh, it must be tough. So even even scripting this podcast episode, man, we were scripting it, uh, outlining it. Um, it's it on its own it's it's very difficult because you and i have to find time to go over the script to to rehearse and to to do all we need to do but you spend hours trying to perfect it yeah i mean again uh, we try to perfect it and i go back to like what i said in our first episode i think there's a beauty to it there's a beauty to the initial uh the initial start of a of a task and then the beauty of it is the progress you know the progress stage and i think that's despite it being difficult and you know challenging i think that's part of the beauty of it you know we got to call out the directors though that allowed films like uh the the very shitty films to, to exist oh yeah because if well, this whole writing know, process right was that I mean, if you got good movies, bad movies must exist. You know, it goes hand in hand. Absolutely. But uh, Jesus, yeah, uh, some horrible movies out there. Have you seen that uh, that film, the The Room? It's memeable. A lot of people make fun of it. The Room. Uh, I don't think I have. Or maybe I'm 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 uh, not calling it by the right name, but um, part of the memes or part of the clips that are being shared shared online is uh, this dude. Uh, it, 
a horrible, horrible actor. Terrible. Just terrible actor. But uh, the scene is, he walks out the door and he goes, I did not hit her. It's bullshit. It, I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. And, and, and that clip plays over and over. And you, and you see, right, that it's possible to make a shitty movie. I think it does help to have someone to review and provide feedback, but I shudder at what the writers do just to get or to a rough draft. Uh, yeah, I, I again, I, I can't imagine um, what it is, but again, I think that's the beauty of it. Um, the original drafts are or can be bad; they can be cringe and stupid, but yeah. Uh, I think you can't stop there. Creation must go on and it's got to continue. And I think that's part of the process. And I think that's the, that's the beauty of it. And I think to, to add on to what I was talking about earlier is that these directors, these writers face the pressure of creating meaningful characters, uh, whether it's a book or a comic book, uh, they have to feel like it's the character come to life in a three-dimensional space. Absolutely. I think writers can get away with that with some uh, short stories or even even with uh, short stories or micro stories, you know? Absolutely. Was there a movie character you really made a connection with? Yeah, fuck, man. I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I think any, anybody would say they can resonate or they can, um, they can resonate with Neo from The Matrix, you know? Mm. So I'll probably just say maybe Neo just because... I think everybody can relate to that character. Okay. Uh, Neo is a very interesting character in that uh, he portrays kind of like a, the all, he's kind of representative of the, of the larger audience, right? He's, he's us uh, being projected onto him saying, we, I want to wake up from this matrix and, and be, the, be the hero of the story. Um, for me, it's, it's several characters come to mind. I really like the well-scripted flawed character, uh, the protagonist that is seeking redemption or vindication. Uh-huh. Uh some a few come to mind, like Russell Crowe's uh, Cinderella Man. I really liked him in that. Uh, Keanu Reeves, Neo. Like you, you and I overlap on that one. But I also will put on the very top Tobey Maguire Spider Man. Kind of the he he's the perfect down of down course. on his luck. Of course. <laughs> well, I mean, Andrew Garfield was a very lucky and suave Spider Man. Like things seemed to just work out for him. Toby was very much the down out of his luck Peter Parker. Like you felt Peter Parker thoroughly in Toby Maguire. Yeah, my thing is it's Toby Maguire is a good Peter Parker. <laughs> to me, Toby Maguire Spider-Man is like uh Vin Diesel of movies. Oof. So fucking cheesy, nah. bro. So freaking nah. cheese. <laughs> cheese. I mean, that's what Spider-Man was in, the, in when they first started. It was very campy. It was very campy. Other than Spider-Man, I think they're great picks, though. Russell right. Crowe, right. yeah, great picks, man. <laughs> all right, all right. So we, we got to now say antagonist, right? If we have our heroes, we have to have our antagonist. Where are we there? Uh, for example, for me, it's got a, it, a villain has to have a strong enough motive that nearly moves you to consider their position. Thanos, hands down. What? That was a quick answer. Yeah, yeah it's fucking Thanos, bro. All right, let me let me think. Because your your answer came so quickly, I thought you were gonna give me time to think about my my greatest villain or antagonist. Man, that's tough. Yeah, I mean, check it. Look, the guy proposed uh, mass genocide for the entire universe. Jeez. And 
fair, but here, fair and different killing for a greater good, you know. Yeah. And in the movie sense, right? In the movie sense, he's doing it for a greater good to, uh, you know, to quell overpopulation, right? And to save resources. I mean, yeah. Again, he's a solid choice. And is he the villains to? Is he the villain to end all villains? And maybe you're right. I mean, he's pretty good, man. I mean, what, what other lessons could we learn from someone like Thanos? I mean, that can bring it to the light. You know, things like, uh, I guess, the, the controversial point, but like, uh, but there are also things that we need to consider. Not to consider as in to actually look for it and do it, but uh, the issues, challenges of overpopulation and resources. You know what I mean? That's what I meant. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's a, a good point of contention there. Uh, I, it's difficult to disagree, yet I find myself disagreeing with you because, yes, Thanos could have easily provided additional resources, but that's what makes him a great antagonist. Uh, maybe maybe you're seeing it at the lens of pain is the greatest teacher? Uh, I think so. Um, but I think pain is just a byproduct of... Thanos was ultimately trying to do is bring a change, a dr drastic change. Uh, and I think change is what makes him an antagonist. He vanquished heroes and completed his plan uh, and made a change from the usual. Absolutely. So I, I do, then I do agree with you that Thanos is likely the greatest antagonist villain written in modern history. Though now, there are some, what's up? For now, I'm just saying for now. For now, oh, for now, for now. That was pretty good, man. Thanos was pretty good. I would say that there's others that may give Thanos a run for his money, though. Like who? Ozymandias from uh, Watchmen. I think uh, that's a spot-on villain. Someone that was trying to do good uh, to better the world and had to uh, obliterate cities to make his point. Oh, shit, yeah. Hey, Watchmen's pretty good. I, I, I love that movie. That was a good one. And Ozymandias is... Was he the smartest man in the world? Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good, man. I mean, he outsmarted three of those super, three of his uh, superheroes, right? Yeah, the 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 folks that he considered his allies. Yeah, uh, he he outsmarted. Uh, what, what was that guy's name? What was the three of the guys? Rorschach, Night Owl, uh, Night Owl, Doctor Manhattan, Silk Spectre, yeah. and oh, yeah, her too. Yeah. Yeah, he outsmarted. Uh, he outsmarted all of them. He beat them, and the actually. comedian. He killed the comedian. the comedian. <laughs> Spoiler alert! He kills the comedian. He's the one that kills the comedian. Oh shoot! Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert! Yeah, if yeah. you have, yeah, he's a he's a good one. <laughs> uh, and without having to do much Thanos like things, right? Yeah, yeah. He kind of did it street level, street level. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a good. Pick. So this. This entire conversation about Thanos and Superheroes had me has me thinking uh, something for our next episode, man. Like what? Uh, who would win on a one versus one matchup? This is a combo typically. Oh, so we'll, we'll save this for the next episode. But you see these hypothetical scenarios play on TikTok and various YouTubers. YouTubers. Um, but what about heroes that we think would go toe to toe? If I recall correctly, from our childhood, your favorite X Man was was or is Gambit. Yeah, it's, I mean, I still like Gambit today. He was my favorite as a kid. Um, but I definitely think he's in my top five now. Characters that I like, 
uh, from comics. And this is no particular order, right? Just characters that I like is Gambit, Wolverine, Ghost Spider, Storm, and Harley Quinn. Now, Harley Quinn, like, is that more recent? Like, you just got caught up in the Harley Quinn craze? No, 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 no. It's back from, like, uh, when I first saw her in uh, the Batman animated series. Ah, that's not a bad lineup. The Harley Quinn, that has to be purely aesthetic, right? What do you mean, aesthetic? <laughs> well, I mean, that for both portrayals, the animated and drawn and uh, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, right? They, they, they have a, a certain appeal. Absolutely. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah, it's, it's um, I, I like Harley Quinn for, 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 for a couple of reasons. One, I like that she was a psychologist that went kind of rogue and said, fuck this, you know what, never mind. I'm going to help the criminally insane now. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of weird, like, okay, yeah, you were a psychologist. And, and you know, I kind of like psychology. Um, I do like, two, I do like her, her the, the story that she has. And, um, but let me make, let me make something, let me make this statement. And here's a, here's a hot take. I don't really like Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. You mean DC's? I'll edit that out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, well, no, that's what I meant, right? Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. Oh, Mar oh, you said Margot. I thought you said Marvel. My, my hearing must be going really bad. No. Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. Ah. I, think I think she's okay at it. Uh -huh. You know, don't get me wrong. She's okay. But to me, she wasn't it. Um, okay. I, and I honestly don't think there's anyone that can play live action Harley Quinn. That's a bold statement because we have three different Spider-Men. Surely, surely there's an actor that can pull it off. Look, dude, uh, as appearances go, Margot Robbie gets like an 8.5 out of 10. For, for Harley Quinn. Her voice and dialect gets like a six out of 10 for me. And the uh, costumes, I think it's a 5.5 out of 10. And that's just, how I, that's just how I feel about it. Don't at me. <laughs> so it sounds like there's room for improvement there. Yeah, I mean, there's always room for improvement. Um, and there's always room for, 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 for room for improvement and room for that too. But um, you know who was a, let me let me switch it up. You know who was a good Peter Parker? And I've been saying this since the start. You know who was a good Peter Parker, but not a good Spider-Man? Tobey Maguire. Another hot take. I bet you. Well, you're wrong. I will at you on that. Uh, so Spider-Man is my all-time favorite superhero. Now, initially, and I will, I will tell you this, and I told you this uh, in our separate conversations outside of this podcast, is I thought Andrew Garfield was a horrible choice for Peter Parker Spider-Man. Because after his initial two films, I felt that his performance was underwhelming. Um, but seeing him in No Way Home, that was uh, very nostalgic. And I, I will say No Way Home really leaned, leaned into the nostalgia. But um, yeah, I felt like when they brought back Andrew Garfield with better writers, better a script, better everything, Andrew Garfield was electric. And he was charming. I'll give him that. Um, and he brought he he breathed life into this role, giving give, giving him this third chance to do it. So may, I, I have some hope for Margot Robbie. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always hope. I guess you can say there's always hope for her. But uh, I said what I said. But uh, you know what? <laughs> I already shared my top five. Let's change this up. I already shared my top five. Who are your top five? Uh, well, 
I thought there was only one superhero, Spider-Man. No? I kid, I kid. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so kidding. Uh, to bring my other four heroes into the mix, uh, I really... Nightwing is on top, right? Uh, a lot of people will say, really, the sidekick from Batman, Nightwing? I think he's the better superhero uh, above Batman. He's a little bit more grounded. Uh, Hawkeye, for sure. Doctor Strange and Psylocke. Oh, cool, cool. Interesting. Why Hawkeye? Uh, so Hawkeye, and, and this is both in the comic books and the film, the dude fights next to a demigod, an enhanced soldier, a billionaire with armor, and all he has is his uh, wit and skills as an archer. That's all. And I think that's pretty cool. Also, I think that's uh, awesome that the Avengers uh, have someone with a hearing impairment because uh, canonically, what? Hawkeye, yeah, Hawkeye is both is deaf in the movies and in the comic books. Hawkeye is deaf? It's true. The dude wears uh, hearing implants, both in the comic books and the movies, and uh, he's canonically deaf, partially deaf, at least in one ear. Damn, I did not know that. So, yeah, just kind oh. of the power of storytelling. Damn, I guess I must have missed that that detail. Damn, I did not know that. All right, man. So we're heading toward the end of this thing. I think for next episode, we're going to talk about 1v1s. Uh, shall we call it? Yeah, I mean, let's call it for right now. Uh, let's end it. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening to our second episode and definitely more to come. Yeah, thanks for listening. It uh, means a lot to us. Uh, just please remember to take the time to raise your levels of consciousness and awareness. Uh, realize your realization of reality. Folks, according to the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, we're at 90 seconds to midnight. Let's make every effort to be kind to one another. Thank you all so much for listening. Thanks.